to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on podcast Freshly Forever. Today, I'm here with Selena Van Oden, who is a fully qualified Ayurvedic practitioner, having trained for five years at the UK's College of Ayurveda with clinical training in Karnataka, Maharashtra, and California. A member of the Ayurvedic Practitioners Association, Salina has talked in the British Parliament and the European Parliament on integrating Ayurveda into the Western system. So it's with great honor that I welcome Salina here to podcast Freshly Forever. Hey, Selena, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Hi, lovely to be with you here. Well, I think it's so important to talk about Ayurveda in the Western world and how we incorporate it into our lifestyle to address root causes of conditions. And I thought you're so passionate about that topic, having talked in the British Parliament and uh, and in other places. So why don't we get started with how you have appealed in those forums about integrating Ayurveda into conventional medicine. You say Ayurveda understands six stages of diseases, right? Can you elaborate on that for the listeners, please? Absolutely. So um, in Ayurveda, what it is, is it's an ancient, ancient body of knowledge that is a living medicine as I see it. So it's constantly responding to what is going on in our environment and what is going on within ourselves. And there's a constant conversation going on. Ayurveda sees that there are six stages to disease, to the process of pathology. And in the West, in Western medicine, modern Western medicine, there are really three. So the six stages in Ayurveda, they have three that three stages before it's even kind of shown up to be something that needs to be dealt with in modern Western medicine. And so if I can go through very simply what these six stages are, um, if you'd like. And that is that, so at the beginning, you have, you have how we see our constitutions that we are made up of these sort of bio energies that we call doshas in Ayurveda. And they all have a place that they exist within our body and they function properly. And what it, I find it very interesting just to say that the word dosha comes from the same root of the word in English as dis, disease, dysfunction, mm-hmm. dislodge. So it's something that can take something out of equilibrium. And this is what happens. So when things are working in harmony, then the doshas are working in harmony within the body. When things start to go awry, then the doshas start to move. And this is the first stage when the doshas start to build up in their location. And then what happens in the second stage in Ayurveda is they start to spill over as if you filled a cup of tea too full and it's spilling out of its spot. And then it starts to move. And so when it starts to move, then there's slight chaos forming in the body. Now, this is the stage in Ayurveda that we can treat as Ayurvedic doctors. So we see that there's a slight imbalance going on. And then we can take some micro adjustments depending on what's going on. Lifestyle measures, dietary. We look at the season, what's going on with someone's constitution. And we can get the person back in balance. And it can be quite simple at those beginning stages. You know, like... If you spill some tea, you can just empty a bit out and then you're back to it being in balance, you know, and it's fine. You put it somewhere else and you get rid of it, essentially. Oh, that's a great analogy right there. But what then happens is when we don't do that and we carry on, then this buildup begins out of the spot where they should be. So they've relocated these doshas and then they can start affecting 
the tissues and the actual materiality of the body, the datus, as we call them in Ayurveda. And when that starts to happen, it's, it's, we're actually starting to mess with the materiality of our body. And that's when we start to see the manifestation of disease. This is the point at which Western medicine would see that there might be a problem. So you see already we've got, in Ayurveda, we could have kind of cleared it up before it's even got to that stage because we recognize these prodromal symptoms. And so then what happens is you have three other stages. So then it starts to build up and then things really start to go awry. The datus start to change and um, the disease process begins. And then we see real manifestation of the disease. And then by the sixth stage, it can be incurable. It can be curable depending on the individual and the type of, um, of disease, I guess, and, 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 and where the person is most vulnerable. Oh, that's wonderful that you um, explained the six stages. So it almost seems like even when you are in stage one or stage two of any condition, even manifesting or starting to take shape, you can just kind of nip it in the bud with Ayurveda. So it's a matter of understanding one's body, it seems like, and then being aware, right? So like you said, Selena, preventing diseases before they manifest by taking care of the root causes. Do you think that's a diet or a lifestyle issue or is it both? What is it actually? It's both. So Ayurveda looks at how our individual constitutions are interplaying with our environment. So it's this constant interplay, and as I like to call it, like a dance between how we are made as individuals and how the environment is, the nature and the qualities of the environment that we live in. It's constantly changing as well. So what I always say when I'm working with patients is that I want you to keep kind of vigilant almost in, in, a, in a chilled way, not to be hypervigilant, but just to be aware of what's going on, how you're feeling all the time. What are the qualities that are arising in your experience and within your body? Mm-hmm. And then looking at then what the environment is saying. And so then what I do is, you know, we, we talk about then understanding what lifestyle measures we should take and what dietary measures we should take. That's the baseline. Uh-huh. And you actually, like right where you live, UK, I think you tend to categorize that as like a kapha environment, right? Because it tends to be moist. It tends to be kind of, yeah, I let you take over. You're the expert. Yeah, yeah. No, well, exactly. So every country and every place and it has a constitution just like people do. And so we have to be aware of where we were born as well, because we will be taking on characteristics of the constitution of the land that we were born, even if we don't live there anymore. We want to be aware of what the nature of the place is. As, as, as you so rightly said, in the UK, it has more of a predominance of kapha in that it has more moisture and it's kind of heavier often and colder um, in, in comparison to other countries. And so with that as a baseline, we understand that there might be more, um, you know, rhinitis or seasonal colds and these sort of um, things to how we respond to the earth in this way. So we, we always will be taking that into account. Okay. You okay. Know, whereas we take other countries and they'll be, co- they'll be hotter and drier. And so we'll be needing more warmth and heaviness. You know, and it's always this interplay of how do we create harmony with the qualities. So how then can someone nourish their body best and how can we take care of our nervous system? Because I guess that's the first one that perhaps gets thrown off, right? When it comes to any imbalance, how best can we address this and achieve homeostasis when it comes to just living healthy and uh, being in tune with our surroundings? Great question. 
Um, I think that in the, and we have to also then think about the age that we live in. So in 2022, what I see worldwide is that we have Vata issues. And we say that, so if Vata is made of ether and air, what we have at the moment is a lot of pollution. And I don't mean just toxic pollution from cars and aeroplanes. I mean, um, electromagnetic pollution, for example. Through the airwaves, we have so many microwaves going on that are affecting the ether and air element. And what that then brings about is a very subtle shift in raising the kind of chaotic aspect of Vata. Vata is also the only dosha that moves. So behind every pathology, we always have to begin with Vata because it's the only one, when we talked about the six stages of disease, it's the one that pushes things out because it's the only one that moves. It's like the, the driver of the vehicle. And then you might have Pitta or Kapha in the back, you know, but Vata is mm-hmm. always driving. And I say all this because nervous system disorders are always about Vata. The nervous system is also made up. It's very similar in its qualities to Vata. When we're treating anything to do with the nervous system, we need to think, right, how do we balance Vata? And this is why in our day and age, and I think universally, really, we need to be thinking about what healthy fats we can include in our diets because fats are the opposite to vitiated nervous system and vitiated vata. Okay. And when you said vata is the driver, so can it mean it can act both positively and negatively in the sense with a positive shift, it can push out toxins, it can drive away disease, But on the other hand, it can also push you towards a disease state if there is an imbalance of vata. Is that possible? Is that a correct understanding, Selena? It's a very interesting question. Um, So as I sort of mentioned at the beginning, the root of the word dosha is similar to anything which has the dis in it, in the dysfunction. So it's usually something when the doshas are completely in harmony, they have great qualities to them. So vata functioning very well will add to, will lead to creativity of thought, for instance. So we wouldn't have brilliant ideas if vata didn't exist. There's something very human about vata, you know? It's okay. Not, you know what I mean? It's like um, our, our creative capacity and our, our, our ability to not just kind of be like a tree, you know, that just is. And so in that sense, vata is wonderful. It is, it's, it's, it's creation, creativity and, um, and, and the movement of all things as they change and evolve. So, and we could see it not to get too philosophical, <laughs> but you know, what, how, how, how we bring about any evolutionary shifts or, you know, in thought and I guess technology, there are, um, very positive aspects to that. And I would say that is a Vata thing, but you're talking more bioenergetically, right? Within the body. Um, yeah, with movement, when we do exercise, you know, that's wonderful for us. We are sort of, we're pushing things out. We can push the sweat out as well. So okay. that's helping the pitta push the sweat out. So I, I like that. I, had, I hadn't really thought of it in that way, but it's a really lovely, you know, way of thinking of it too. But we can uh-huh. overdo it. You know, people sometimes in the West will be like, I do exercise every day. And, and it's like, that's too much for vata. You're, doing uh-huh. too, you're getting, you're getting, you're too, it's too vata then. And then you see people people are quite anxious, you know? People do heart yoga. And when it's not meant to be, you know, that's not meant to be how yoga is done, right? So heart yoga and then, you know, raising the temperature to 
you know, like limits that you probably don't want to see actually uh, happening in an ideal scenario. Exactly. This is the trouble, I think, again, going on, following on from that point I said about humanness, is that there's this equilibrium in that nature. And nature knows how to exist in harmony with the world. But what we do as humans is we push it. Mm-hmm. So we get something very beautiful, like this knowledge of yoga, asana. And then we're like, oh, but how can I like make it a bit better? You know, as in, as if, as if it needs to be made better. So I know I'll add like ridiculous heat to it. So we're sweating profusely and exhausting ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We, we lend that twist where it's not necessary, right? Exactly. This uh-huh. is, and interestingly, this is something I say to people when I'm working with them. Our bodies and our minds want to be well. If we leave them be, you know, they will, they will, they will find equilibrium. They will find harmony. They will understand how to live with nature. But what we're constantly doing is interrupting and playing with it and creating chaos. And that's what the Ayurveda really is there for is to try and pull people back into line with themselves, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you said the vata is the air element. What about, and you talked about kapha being the moist or, you know, the, the heavy environment. What about pitta just for the benefit of listeners as a refresher? Even on this podcast, I've done so many episodes on Ayurveda itself. But just as a refresher, if we can bring the other dosha or the other element into picture, I think that will be great. Yeah, absolutely. So pitta is the fire with a tiny bit of water. So it's the transformation. Anything where there's fire means transformation. So it transforms the food that we eat into um, uh, the materiality of the body or energy um, or or, um, waste material. It transforms that which we see through our eye and our retina into a vision inside of ourselves. So it's constantly, it transforms ideas that we understand into something that we can understand. So it's, it's the center. It's the middle ground, you know, like with the five elements, fire is the center of it all. It's that moment when you've got something very subtle. You've got ether, then air, then fire. And then after fire, it becomes more material, water than earth. Okay. Okay. That's great. You said some fats are essential when it comes to the nervous system, right? For it to feel at its best. So what is Ayurveda's take when it comes to essential fats or is fat even essential in the first place? If you can clarify that, because we are trying to talk about incorporating Ayurveda into the Western world, right? And in the Western world, there are so many forms of diet and some diets promote all protein and fat, no carbohydrates, whereas some are like no sugar, no oil, things like that. So what is your take on that, Selena? Great question. And it's something very important um, to talk about that we don't talk about enough. Um, Fats in Ayurveda are, are one of the most beautiful medicines when they're the correct fats and when they're good fats. Um, as we were talking about before, we have so many nervous system disorders in the world right now, so much mental health difficulty. And one of the best treatments for mental health disorders and for nervous system disorders is good fats. As I say, in Ayurveda, there's one of the baseline fundamental rules is like increases like and opposites um, detract from one another and create balance. So when you've got a nervous system that is dry and light and erratic, 
We want something solid and heavy and oily and unctuous to treat it, to meet it, so that there's balance. But um, what in the West people, this is the thing, It's it, the Western science is not thinking of qualities. It's not thinking of the interaction of qualities. So in Ayurveda, the, the, the favorite, Ayurveda's favorite fat is ghee or grutta, um, which is a clarified lipid. It's, um, it's just full of nutrients and minerals and it's incredibly absorbable by the body. And it's a bit like a wonder treatment, actually, because it has the capacity to be absorbed in the microchannels. There's this beautiful word in Sanskrit called sukshma, and it means a subtle penetration. And this is what ghee has the capacity to do. It can subtly penetrate into the microchannels of the nervous system, and 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 it adds comfort. I think of it like a blanket, you know, around the nerve, around the myelin sheath. All these nervous system disorders are drying up. The neurons are drying up all the nervous tissue, whereas a fat like ghee and other fats create coating, help create coatings, help create protection and life, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right there, as I understand, it can be your part of gold, right? When is it truly someone's part of gold? And how is ghee or grutta meant to be prepared in the role of correct set of cows and the type of milk and everything? And so what is the difference between any and every product that's out there that is so popular now in the Western world or gaining momentum as ghee? And can anyone trust any and every ghee or is ghee meant to be prepared a certain way for it to be truly beneficial, like the nervous system benefit and the nourishment that we are talking about? Yeah, exactly. Ghee or grutta can be prepared in different ways. And what's really special about the pure living grutta and why I'm so happy to work with them um, and represent them as an ambassador and is because there's is does transcend the quality of all of those that I have met because of a number of factors that you mentioned. So we have to think in everything in Ayurveda, we're always thinking about the root to the tip of everything. So when we uh-huh. think of ourselves and we think of anything we're consuming, it's like, right, where did we get this milk from? How are the cows treated? How are the farmers treated that are treating the cows? Because all of these energies, these are subtle energies that are going into everything and they do then have an effect on the product, you know? And so what they do at Pure Living is it's a beautiful Goshala cow farm in India where they have very specific type of gear cows, which are the ancient breed of cows that have never been messed with. They were around the time of, you know, they say that it was around in the time of Krishna, Lord Krishna was you know had had these cows and so um the the milk that they produce is is like this as you what i think you said like a, a golden nectar actually just even the milk and then the process by which as per the ancient texts um the pure living process of making it is into put it in make it into a buttermilk ferment it it takes quite a, a substantial amount of time to do this process to then refine it into this real unctuous nectar that is filled with nanoparticles of these trace minerals that we just wouldn't get elsewhere you know and the difference is that the the difficulty is so when i'm working with people in 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 the uk for instance is i don't like them to take anything that is of a cow product from this country unfortunately 
I love to be local with things, and this is the thing. Ideally, you know, if we could all be local, it would be wonderful. But unfortunately, the breeds of cows that we have in the UK and in the States, I think, are of this sort of hybrid cow that has been played with over time, if I may. Um, and what would create uh-huh. then the milk, it's a, it's a different type of milk. It's an A1 milk that the body cannot absorb properly, and it creates inflammation within the body. Whereas the A2 type of milk, is completely readily available for us and we can absorb it, we can take it in. It doesn't create inflammation. And it's probably noteworthy to mention that that's probably why we worship the cows back in India, right? And people don't eat beef and because cow is a form of worship as well. You mentioned it's a special type of process. Is this something that one can make at home? Or would you rather people only use like A2 type of milk and not just, you know, make this from butter. Instead, you know, just try to make it off of buttermilk only. Is that when it's a true form of nectar or this part of gold that can be nourishing and it's the real sense of ghee? Yeah, so it's it's as if what the difference I sometimes see it as grita is just the Sanskrit word for ghee. But what we're, we're saying when we call it grita, it is made by this ancient practice the way that it was written in like Charaka Samhita. When we just have ghee, it's a kind of different thing. Now, I think it's a beautiful thing for people to try and make. What you're getting is not the the, the, the sort of hyper level of medicine that, that we would be um, getting from pure living's gritta. Um, you'd be getting a lovely unctuous substance. And as I say, any process of creating something yourself, I think is great. My problem again is just about the cow, the milk that's available. We don't really in these countries have A2 cow milk. Um, we can sometimes get A2 goat milk, and that might be a lovely process to try and make your own from goat milk. Now, it will be some process to do <laughs> to get the milk, make it into buttermilk, and then make it into ghee. You know, it's it could be a beautiful meditation. Um, mm-hmm. But as I say, when it, what, what what this pure living, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a medicine. You know, it's it's a it's a medicinal, a very potent, high quality medicinal product. So it's almost a different thing, you know? Okay. I think it's noteworthy to ask, how did you get initiated into Ayurveda? And when you first saw this, were you truly fascinated that, oh, there's something like this that can really provide nourishment? Yeah. So um, when you say that, do you mean about the ghee or about the Ayurveda in itself? Both. And yeah. specifically about ghee, though. Yeah. Um, no, so I, I, I feel like it is... It's my life's calling that I knew since I was little and I didn't find out until I was in my 20s um, really deeply. Um, it was a path that I had always been looking at, I realized, when I think back through my life. Um, I had always been very interested in um, ancient Indian philosophy since I was a young teenager um, and about how what food. I was always a very keen cook and I was a masseuse when I was little. So it's just always this looking at how is how do we sort of, what is good? Why are we here? <laughs> I was always asking this question. My parents said I was like a little mini philosopher when I was little, you know. And uh-huh. then I, I started reading all these texts. I read the Bhagavad Gita when I was a teenager and I was like, I didn't quite understand it. Um, but it, it, it spoke to me in a way that nothing else really had yet. Um, and then as I went on with my life and I started looking down different avenues and then there came a time when it was like this the only avenue actually is Ayurveda. It was like every road I looked down pointed to Ayurveda and I was like, okay, I have to, I have to go down all of these roads. And, 
And then to think about, understand why we're here, to understand ourselves on this, in this world as human beings, and to understand how we can support ourselves and one another. And so this is how I see Ayurveda to be so beautiful. It's a support system because it's quite scary really out there. You know, there's a lot going on in the world and we might look for support in different places and we might not find it. But what Ayurveda does is it, it is, it's a complete system of support. And so then when you find a medicine like ghee, it is like a medicine of support. So if, I, if we've got something that is supporting our organs, our systems and our nervous system, like he does, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's like someone having their arms around you, you know, a wel- mm-hmm. welcomely, welcomely. And we talked about the air, fire and moist condition, you know, falling uh, or placing us under different buckets when it comes to say like body types, right? If we were to look at say some integrative terminology with the Western world. So when we put this ghee into context, is it meant to be all right for any and every person, every body type, or is it ideal only where air and fire elements predominate? Um, so it's the best medicine ideally for vata and pitta. It is quite like kapha, and so that it does have the qualities already of the earth with a bit of water like kapha constitution has. But as I was saying earlier, most diseases have at the at the beginning or at some point of them they have will have some vata vitiation. Now this is the side of stuff that one would need to go to a practitioner for to really understand, you know, as in how a disease is is made up within a body and how it the pathology of it and how one treats it. But um from my position as a practitioner, what what one will see is that even if something looks someone has a kapha constitution and potentially it looks like a kapha disorder they have, there might be vata within it as well. So there are layers of treatment. And also, we can get very beautiful medicated gritters. So there are certain, you know, you have certain spices that penetrate and will penetrate through the, the sort of lethargic kapha and treat what needs to be treated. So it's, yeah. So ideally, it's a beautiful medicine. If you are of a pitta or a vata constitution, then it is just the most beautiful medicine, you know, quite rightly, as you pointed out. Um, but there are some kapha situations that really benefit it from it too okay then at that point we can then call it tridoshic right it's just meant for all dosha types or all imbalanced states if you will because when everything is supposed to be in a balance i think that's an ideal composition of the air fire and the water elements right so you are saying although it's most suited for the air and the fiery situations. It can be tweaked to do good things for a kapha environment or internal climate in someone's body. Is that right? Yes, um, with with caution, you know. So if someone is has got a huge kapha disorder, if they're incredibly lethargic, if they are very overweight and and then there are certain situations where one wouldn't want to add more weight and, and, um, which that fat would be adding to it, you know? I mean that energetically rather than physically, really. But as I say, there are often these situations. And when we look into what I mentioned before about the elect- electromagnetic frequencies and all of these vata chaotic disturbances that we are just living around, you know? So there's a certain amount of universality to this medicine as well. 
but I would always say I would I'd need to add a little caution to CAFA constitutions when they're out of balance as well, just because that is something that one would probably want to see a practitioner about. You know, it wouldn't just be to take it willy-nilly. Okay. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. And when you said medicated uh, ghee, that means addition of certain herbs or maybe even some spices to it, which only Ayurvedic practitioners will be able to facilitate and be able to provide to the patient or to any individual who is a client. Because I guess Ayurveda tries to address conditions even before one truly becomes a patient, right? You know, like that's the role of Ayurveda in addressing or nipping something in the bud. Right, yes. Um, and so there are certain medicated ghees that will be as per the text. And this is what's very beautiful about Ayurveda is there were recipes that were made all of these thousands of years ago that still were in perfect harmony with every it was this knowledge base was created when people could see things very clearly in a way that we cannot today because we are all very distracted by all of that we have in, you know, <laughs> <laughs> these these you know these rishis these seers that sat on top of the mountain when the world was very clear they could understand and this was you know they they got this knowledge and they wrote it down or they you know it was written down eventually it wasn't written down at the beginning and so these recipes that were created were very carefully created and there were medicated bees written in within these doctrines um, that were specifically created for very specific pathologies and specific needs, you know. Um, and so you've got that side of things, which are the specific medicated breeze gritters. Perhaps it's like Brahmi Gritta or there are lots of different names one could talk about but then you've also got this this beautiful one of my favorite words in sanskrit and ayurveda is anupana which is the vehicle so you have medicines and then you have the vehicle that will take that medicine to where it needs to go in the body most effectively and ghee or gritta is a really great anupana for a lot of different medicines so then that is why it doesn't need to have been formulated with those particular in that particular way with the recipe it can be that you just take it with it and it adds a certain unctuousness to it so say for an example, trifala is a beautiful medicine for clearing out the GI tract and the digestive system and helping with all sorts of peristalsis and all sorts of things and adding a high dosage of vitamin C. Although it is good for every dosha, it is tridosha, um, it can sometimes be slightly drying for vata. So what we need to see then, if someone does have a super dry constitution and if they are like um, they go towards constipation, then I would say to them, you take that with some gritter when you have it. How nice, how nice. That makes a lot of sense. So speaking of ghee and the different stages of life, when we possibly would need this the most, say, I hear you talk a lot about the air element. So is joint health something which means it's a drying out of tissues that causes joint problems and is is that a stage in life when gritha or ghee is best suited? We already touched upon nervous system. What about growing children? And what about several other stages in life? If you can take us through all of that, Selena. Absolutely. So in Ayurveda, they say there are three stages of life. And again, they are to do with the doshas. So the first stage of life when we're infants is a kapha stage. Do you imagine like a snotty child running around and sleeping and 
growing, uh-huh. you know, and that's the kapha stage of life. And then when we eat, reach adolescence and in the kind of formative years of our working life and most of the sort of midsection of our life that is um, mostly pitta dominated. And so you can think about that transformative nature of everything. We're thinking of ideas. We're creating a life for ourselves. We're creating the basis for that which in our, in our kind of um, humanness <laughs> in the world. Um, <laughs> and then the later stages of life are predominantly vata. So what happens is exactly like you say, as things start to dry out a little bit as we get older, you just imagine like anything, which is anything that has existed for a long time, it does, it starts to get drier. You know, and then what also happens is you have in the joints is wherever there's space in the body, um, there is the capacity for that space to be filled. Now, what can happen is it can be filled with negativity, anxiety, worry, and it can also be filled with toxicity or ama, as they call it in Ayurveda. Ama is the undigested waste materials that circulate the body when when our digestive system is not properly working. And so this is why Ayurveda always starts with the digestive system. How is it working? How are we getting rid of all the waste that we need to be getting rid of? Because if we're not getting rid of it properly, then it starts to circulate through our fluids of our body, and then it goes to the, 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 the holes in our body. And you can imagine in our joints, because of the very nature of a joint, we have spaces there. And so what happens is, the pathology of that is, as we get older, you can imagine there's just this very subtle and slow building up of waste material within those spots of the body and then what we get is pain inflammation toxicity dryness as well uh-huh so then ghee acts as a great nourishing agent in all of those conditions is that right so ghee acts as a great nourishing exactly a nourishing agent and also fills in the holes with something good you know it's not allowing for space to be filled with negativity it's allowing it to be filled with positivity okay okay what about uh, it also has that water element to it, right? Could that cause any excess accumulation of fluids? Or is that when we really go based on body types and the inner climate? That one question that I have, and part two of my thinking process now makes me ask, ghee is perceived as saturated fat by modern medicine. So how do you address this aspect? And when you are trying to highlight so many benefits, then it also wants me to ask you, what is it that they are missing that Ayurveda is able to kind of see that sees ghee as a benefit as opposed to a deterrent? Yeah, great question. So this is the thing is, in modern Western medicine and science, what we look for is almost the villain. You know, there's always a villain. It's like, who's <laughs> who's to blame? You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always someone else. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's always looking for someone else to blame. And it's looking how I see it. The difference between the philosophy is it's always looking through a microscope at an individual moment of something, you know, and saying, right, so we've got this problem. You know, what what's going on here? Ayurveda looks at the whole picture and it always says, right, like we talked about at the beginning, what's the root cause of this? So when we think about fats, okay, so we could look at cardiovascular health and we could look and be like, okay, well, so there there must be a villain here. Who is it? You know, rather than saying, right, what's the pathology of this disease? What has happened through someone's life that has led to this? How have you lived your life? How have you taken care of yourself? How have you understood your constitution and how it interacts with the world in which you live? I find it very interesting in Western medicine and 
I I love Western medicine, and I don't. I'm, I, in a lot of situations, I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, there are certain when we're treating acute diseases, when there's emergency care, it's absolutely wonderful. And I, I don't want to say anything negative about those things, but there are so many blind spots as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think, think I think it's uh, very important that you brought that up because I think as a host of this show, I also want to reiterate here to listeners that. Yes, conventional medicine does have its own role and space and steering that it needs to do. And it has a great role to play in one's life. And by all means, like you said, if there's any emergent situation, one has to seek that route. But I guess we are trying to address this from the standpoint of diet and lifestyle when someone can tweak their habits and their living and try to get in tune with oneself and understand their own body and modify their habits or their daily living in such a way that they can not fall prey to any conditions later on. I think that's that's the goal of this discussion, if you would like. Yeah, beautiful. It's, you know, I, I, ideally Ayurveda is preventative medicine because it wants us to know ourselves understand how we work and understand how we interplay with our environment as we, as I, as I keep saying but then it's like so if at the very root also of Ayurveda is this idea that if our channels of our body and our mind are clear and our body is properly functioning with nature rather than against it then there will be a form of homeostasis and our aging will just be a natural form of aging that we all you know we are mortal beings who age and we understand that in Ayurveda we don't pretend we're not we're always looking at right so you know we talk about the stages of life so how are we going to stay in balance with these stages of life as we change and we grow and we learn you know it's like getting older is a wonderful thing the wisdom and the accumulation of experience and all these things it doesn't just have to be the accumulation of like toxins and build up and that's unfortunately what i think there are there's this hole in western medicine um, and this is why there's such a blind spot around chronic the treatment of chronic disease. So what we get is we get this buildup in the system of toxicity and they don't look into, right, so let's clean that all out through every system. You know, when we think of the six stages of disease, for instance. So then what happens is we have a toxic situation. Someone is, has, has got the manifestation of a disease. And what, what modern Western medicine often does in that situation when we're talking of chronic illness is it adds, adds more toxicity <laughs> in the form of pharmaceutical drugs. So we have a toxic situation and we add more toxicity to it. Now, how does the body cope with that? And so this is where I see this, this, this problem zone to be. And this is why I really am passionate about education to the Western sphere on this side of, of pathology and the treatment of pathology and understanding is, as you so rightly began our conversation with of these six stages. And then it's also this mindset shift away from always, like I said about the villain. So who's to blame? And also who's going to take care of me? Like who's going to deal with that? You know, I'm ill. Give me something to make me better tomorrow. Ayurveda says, let's take responsibility for ourselves. Let's learn how we are made as individuals and how those around us are made so we can live in harmony with each other and with ourselves. It's not a fight, you know, it's it's a journey. And so it's this constant understanding the nuances of it, you know, and and looking for that constant, you know, it's like, uh, what what is it like evolving beautiful process, you know? 
Okay, so does ghee contribute to saturated fat? And is it, again, say when someone already has a heart condition or any such, then is that contraindicated even as per Ayurvedic texts? How do you deal with that situation? Yeah, so it really depends on what the situation is. And so whether a certain, as we say, if there's a certain pathology that's got to certain stages of it, um, I couldn't comment and say that one, you know, should be taking it in any situation right now because every, every situation is different. And as we say, it's highly individualized. But the role of the saturated fat, so, you know, you have three types of fats in from a Western context, saturated, unsaturated, trans fats. It's, it's almost about the solidity. We look at a saturated fat and thinking that there's a solidity to it. Now, the reality also is of ghee within the body is within, when it's 37, you know, when it gets into our body heat, actually, it will melt anyway and it penetrates. It doesn't then re-solidify within the body. It can exit. But we don't know what else is going on necessarily and what other drugs are being taken and what other, as I say, what other diseases have taken hold in certain channels of the body. So I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that, you know, anyone should be taking it at any time. But Ayurveda doesn't look at it. It, it doesn't um, see the... We don't talk about fats in that way necessarily, you see. We talk about the qualities of them and how they work within all the systems of the body. Does that answer your question? Can't tell if oh, I yes. Went and, I think the, <laughs> and I think the um, role here on this show is not to give medical advice and you and I are not sitting out here giving medical advice and each one's individual condition certainly needs to be addressed by their physician in conjunction with say if they believe in Ayurveda you know an Ayurvedic practitioner that's why you know it's important not to go off of uh, google.com right so not be your own doctor but instead you know seek professional help where it's necessary so i think that message is still loud and clear but i guess we are having this discussion on what are the benefits just so it's it's an awareness and it's uh, it's definitely you know highlighting the good where good exists and that's where this gruta comes in and what other things play into someone's lifestyle when it comes to saturated fat. What about people drinking cold beverages, right? So is that more an issue you think in fat getting deposited where it shouldn't be in the first place? And I guess I think it's worthy talking about why people drink cold beverages when ideally the condition or the internal climate has to be warm and moist always, right? Is that right? Or am I missing something, Selena? No, that's right. Yeah, it's really interesting. So in Ayurveda, we, we really don't like cold beverages. Um, and it's so funny because, again, in the West, it's just such a normal thing, isn't it? That people bring you, you walk into a restaurant, someone brings you a glass of ice water. You, know, you almost have to kick up a fuss to say, can I have no ice? People are like, Why? Can I have room temperature or warm water? And people look at you like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> our body. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I ask I ask for uh, water with lemon or warm water with lemon at a bar. And then people look at me like, oh, are you crazy? I mean, they are polite enough to still bring me, you know, when I'm at a restaurant. But then, you know, when they go to the bar to give the other drink orders of people sitting at my table, perhaps, you know, I think it's strange enough that I'm asking for warm water with lemon. Right. No, exactly. And so it's so funny what becomes a kind of cultural norm, you know, and why that's happened. 
And who knows what messaging has led to that over, you know, who knows who's actually responsible for that. Um, it could be Coca-Cola or something. I don't know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> but, but um, no, so, you know, our body is at a temperature of, what, 37.5 degrees when we're at, that's our normal body temperature. So we think about what we consume in order. We're always looking to be in harmony and not put our body under stress, right? So everything is, everything we're doing in Ayurveda is almost, it's just trying to put us at ease, not dis-ease. <laughs> so when we drink something mm-hmm. that is colder than our GI tract, then we're putting it into a small sense of shock. We're putting it under stress. And that's it in the fundamental terms. We're putting it into, it contracts, the muscles begin to contract through the coldness. We know what we get like when we get cold. Even it's like everything goes, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want that happening in our GI tract. We want everything to be working properly. We're always trying to let it flow, be in harmony, you know, as I say, like increases like opposites detract. We want, we want to add to the warmth and the smoothness and the workings of our digestive tract. So even all the internal channels, as I understand, has to expand and that is facilitated by the warmth exactly. more than the cold, right? So perhaps even these cold beverages are more a deterrent for all these fat accumulation and deposits rather than facilitating things to move or push exactly. through. This is it. So we're, we're, we're sort of adding to the possibility of, you know, how I see it is fundamentally we're looking for clear channels. We're looking for ch- clear channels of the body and mind. So that we know what's going on and our body knows what's going on. There's clear communication. Everything's working to its optimum. It does that at a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. When we start playing with that, then of course there'll be fat accumulation and there'll be deposits. Things just start to go awry. Hormones start to go awry. Everything starts to go awry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about uh, lifestyle, say the exercise aspect? And someone says, hey, I eat all the fat that I want, you know, the rest of the saturated fat or the trans fat, but then, hey, I'm exercising. So how different is the benefit of your ghee versus any other fat? Because just because, you know, I eat whatever I want, I'll put whatever I want into my body just because I'm exercising. Yeah, that's a good question. So when we think about a trans fat that is a highly... um doctored fat if you will so something that has been messed with a lot through a a lot of different processes highly processed Um, whenever we have anything that's highly processed we're getting further and further away from nature and it's been processed in a way that you know we think about or has been you know kept in a crisp bag for instance when you have crisps you call them chips in america right um, like Chris, what's a Chris? <laughs> yeah, we all have something different. Yeah. And in fact, when you said thirty-seven point five like, internal temperature, yeah, yes. I had to say, oh, that's uh, centigrade, and you know, that's uh, not Fahrenheit. So I guess everything here has to be. I mean, we are different, and the UK is different. But hey, we'll embrace both. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, I realize one. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's very subtle the differences, but they are that. Yes, so we have there are certain these trans fats that just will accumulate. In the body they cannot be digested properly and so they do then just get stuck in different places in channels and arteries and all of these these the different channels of the body of which there are many different types so even if one is doing exercise this free flow we are not with nature we're kind of working against nature 
And so when we take these very specific types of fats like ghee that have been now, there's a processing that goes on in order to make it digestible for humans, but it's 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 a form of processing that is in line and in harmony with the body. It's as if a bit like cooking foods. So in Ayurveda, we much prefer cooked foods to raw foods. And it's because it's helping with the digestive process. You imagine there's a fire beneath the stove, the pan, that we're, the pot that we're cooking with. And that the, the cooking process, it's like our agni, our digestive fire. It's, it's beginning that process before it actually reaches our body. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you brought up agni. Yeah, great. Go, go on. Yeah. And so what we're always, as I say, we're always just trying to work with it. You know, with the process that's already happening rather than against it. If we put raw foods into our body, it's quite shocking for our system how we are supposed to digest it, you know? And so with these fats, as I say, so the processing, it's a different form of processing to the highly processed trans fats that will exist within junk foods and um, all of these these things. When you talk about oh, I do exercise, I can eat what I want. It's like, well, you're still going to have deposits of these unhealthy things because your body doesn't recognize them as food. You know, it's just like a foreign object entering the body and it's like the body doesn't know what to do with that. It's not in harm. Mm-hmm. It's always, yeah. Is that when it uh, causes those toxic buildup, you know, the armor that you talked about? Yes, yeah. So this is, again, this, this knowledge base, um, these sort of understanding our constitution, understanding where there are certain things that we cannot mix with each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's universal. So there are certain things that different constitutions shouldn't eat. There are certain times of year when, regardless of your constitution, one shouldn't be eating certain things. And then there are certain combinations of food that are not good regardless. And they're just sort of, sort of fundamental rules of Ayurveda. And it's always about, is this going to be putting our agni, our digestive fire under stress so that it cannot do its job properly? And is this also going to be creating this toxic waste or sludge or ammo that's going to be circulating our system? Because what happens when it circulates is it then lines the channels. So then even if we think we're eating super healthy things, it's not able to be absorbed mm-hmm. because we've got that toxic sludge. So it's almost like a binary yes or no answer to everything, right? It's a simple science rather than feeling that, oh, is this something complicated for me to understand? Like, hey, is this good for my inner climate or not? Yes or no? And then is it going to cause my digestive fire to be off balance? Yes or no? So I guess that's where your concept of like increases like and doing the opposite becomes more significant if my understanding, you know, is correct. No, so yeah, it's interestingly put. Um, it's, I think everything is nuanced. Like I don't, you know, I think that it's interesting, the sort of the binary nature of things. Um, there is a certain aspect of that, but I think everything also has its nuance to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I really am, I'm very passionate that I don't ever communicate to people I work with this a rigidity. So this idea of being hyper vigilant around everything that someone's doing, like, is this wrong? Is this right? Then again, it creates, a, you know, what we talked about when we drink the cold water that everything kind of contracts. It's like, I'm always looking to impart this idea of, of letting go and surrendering uh-huh. to a process, you know, whether it be mental or physical. And so there needs to be a certain aspect of relaxedness. So it's almost we, we, 
this is what you know the ayurveda is an is a hugely complex science one of the most complex sciences i've ever come across and it i will be studying it for the rest of my life i did deep 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 training for a very long time you know i trained for five to six years of medical school and i will continue to learn this for the rest of my life though because it, it's so deep and vast and wide and it covers everything and yet as you point out there is a simplicity to it and so the simplicity lies for me in people understanding themselves clearing their system of sludge clearing their mind of sludge so that they know that what they are experiencing and what they're wanting in life what they're being what they're craving and what they're being pulled towards is actually what they need rather than what what an imbalance is craving what an addiction or you know what that amor or the sludge is craving or what that sh- the excess sugar in the body is craving yeah i Does guess that makes sense absolutely i guess what i mentioned also the simplicity was from the standpoint of understanding our own body and i guess mm. if you give up the rigidity and start to embrace the science i think you start to become more in tune with your body and then it becomes simpler that's that's how i feel beautiful yeah absolutely yeah yeah and if you were to highlight the other benefits that ghee or gritha offers i believe it's also rich in omega 3 is that right and there's a cleansing aspect to it also why don't we address the other benefits and what about skin health i think that's that's so rampant mm. when it comes to skin issues absolutely so it's really good it's a really good medicine for pitta and pitta exists also in the skin it adds moisture and also we we haven't touched upon ojas have we um ojas i i would describe like the sparkle in the eye and the the sheen and the buoyancy to people's skin it's that extra it's it's sometimes called the eighth dhatu it's the nectar in the heart it's that which protects the organ systems it's this vitality within us now what ghee is very similar to ojas uh-huh so when you see someone that's very pallid and dry and you know you can tell that there's a sort of grayness to them almost it's they are depleted in ojas what ghee does is it and grita even better does is it brings about ojas in our body also as you say omega 3s exactly so when we're looking at how do we get omega 3s this is what's so beautiful about ayurveda as well is there's always an answer to all of the modern foibles that we understand that we need the holes we have you know even like vitamin d we do have yango on our skin aha uh-huh. right the uh, oil or the omega-3. massage on the skin massaging the skin yeah and going out and getting a little bit of sun when we can but that the process of putting this oil onto our skin it's so nourishing it's so deeply nourishing we can also use gritta on our skin we can use it locally we can give ourselves a foot massage you think about everything you know our, our our skin is an organ that absorbs everything we put on it it drinks it so when we think about doing the kind of reflexology or just a simple foot massage and we add a little bit of ghee to that then we're adding that deep nourishment into that local spot and then it can penetrate through the layers of the epidermis and into um circulate the system in a in, in a different direction you know um you talked about cleansing as well in ayurveda the, the deepest cleanses is panchakarma and the the first stage of panchakarma one of all the one of the first stages of panchakarma um is this the, the snehana where you get massage 
and then you start drinking ghee. Now, what that does is, as I said before, it penetrates all the subtle channels of the body and it pulls out the toxins. So then when we're doing the local massage on the outside exterior of the body and then we're internally massaging with the ghee, so we're there, and then we take certain medicines that then pull everything out and we get rid where we need to. In terms of toxins. In terms of toxins, And yeah. this is best done really with the help of a practitioner, I would assume. Absolutely. No, it's to go to a panchakarma clinic for that and to work with a practitioner, absolutely. But when we're taking it for ourselves, it also helps with, you know, peristalsis. So the movement of our gut, how we digest properly. It's almost like it helps with the proper workings of every system of our body. Okay. How does it act when it comes to uh, handling spices? And always in my context, when I refer to spices, I truly believe in using spices, one, for flavor, and two, more as a medicine because of all the inherent medicinal qualities and properties in the spices. And I'm not talking paprika or chili powder or green chilies, you know. I guess I'm talking turmeric, black pepper, coriander powder, cumin powder, things like that. And then the wonderful herbs like coriander leaves or cilantro, like it's called here in the Western world. So things like that, curry leaves, which many people do not even know. Uh, I guess there's so much of hair fall and everything that's prevalent, right? So how does ghee address the component of fat when it comes to balancing the spices and how the internal climate or the body handles all of that? That's a great question. So a bit like I was talking about earlier with that, my favorite word, anupana, the vehicle. And so ghee acts as a beautiful vehicle for these herbs and spices that you mentioned. And so it allows where there is pungency, which in Ayurveda, everything is categorized into a different flavor or taste, of which there are six. Again, they come down to the elements, the five elements. And where there's that pungency of these spices, it has a dry quality to it. So then we add the unctuousness of the ghee and it, it harmonizes that dry quality. And it allows it also to take it to where it needs to go. Okay. So it's, it's a balancing, uh-huh. you know? And what about anti-aging, eye health or memory? Uh, because we talked about the omegas. So how does it all reflect when it comes to those areas of potential benefit? Yeah, it's just so beautiful. Well, so you've got in um, in omega-3, it's the EPA and the DHA, which that's what ghee contains. And so this is what feeds the, the neurons. It creates nervous, ner- the ner- ner- nervous tissue and the ner- neurological cells. Also, when we think about nervous tissue, in Western scientific terms, you have a myelin sheath around the nervous tissue. And what, so say you have a, um, a pathology like MS, multiple cirrhosis, which is when the myelin sheath is drying up and it starts disappearing. And so the nervous system goes mm-hmm. awry. And what you have with a product like ghee or grita is it is helping build the myelin sheath. So when you talk about aging, it's the opposite of that. So this is exactly it. It's the way to keep our body and our nervous system young, you know? As we say, when I talked about the different stages of life, that the later stages of life are the vata stages. So there is this, that is just the way it goes, is that things start to dry up. So what we want to do is we want to keep things youthful and moist and buoyant and unctuous. And we do that by by eating beautiful fats like Britain. Amazing. What about... Um... 
clarified butter versus ghee because we also talked about how we make it and um, healthy microbes fighting inflammation building immunity all of these aspects is there anything you would like to add on that front yeah like immunity our immunity is our again ojas can sometimes be seen as our immunity so immunity is seen as the body's capacity to know what is for for it and what is not for it it's like its defense mechanism and it says you know it's like the the bouncer at the door of the nightclub that says you're allowed in and you're not allowed in you'll help me and you uh-huh. won't help me um, <laughs> and and that's what a healthy immune system is and so what we always want to be doing is working with the immune system building it up rather than putting it under more stress my difficulty in this day and age is that modern science often has this way of thinking it knows better it knows better than its own immune system it knows better and so it thinks that if it comes in with something else then it will um you know it'll fight whatever again i talk about this fight you know whereas what the immunity is it's also a confidence it's a confidence in knowing that we know what's best mm-hmm. for us and so when we know what we're made of when we know that our channels are clear and we have the confidence to know what suits our system we have the confidence to know what is our environment and what is not what works for us and what doesn't and how we can work with it and not against it then we're allowing for our immune system be to be working at its at its full potential um and so what things like ghee do again is ojas is also like an immune it, it's a bit like the immune system as well and so we're building up that confidence again in ourselves. You imagine like someone that's very meek and dry and unconfident and like a little shell of a person, you know, it's that lacking in confidence. Whereas when you have the, the unctuous moisture, plumpness that ghee provides to mm-hmm. the cells, then it's, and in Ayurveda, we see, you know, the set, one cell is an example of, of the whole of the rest of the cosmos on some uh-huh, level. Uh-huh. How we treat a cell, you know, we could look at it and think about all the organelles. Whatever makes up a cell, you think that is tiny representation of the body. Then you think of the representation of the body as being our society, society, our country and the world and going out and out and out. And so we think, right, on some level, it's like, right, how do we keep our cells super healthy? One of the best ways of keeping them healthy is keeping them clean and clear, free of toxins and full and plump of beautiful things like of Gruta. Okay, fantastic. And is there any other um, area of the body that it can really work well, even for a self-massage? I know you mentioned the foot probably at night. What about the spine, the palm, up the arms, whatever it may be, that may be something easy to do even as a self-care routine? Yeah, absolutely. So I would put it locally if you have any pain in a particular area. The difficulty with it is you wouldn't necessarily financially be able to do a whole abianga with it because you know it's it isn't because of the, the medicinal quality and the quality of it that you might not have enough mm-hmm. of it to do that like to do a complete body massage with it so then i would concentrate on particular local zones that feel like they need that real nourishment you know the feet are just so beautiful at night because they help you sleep but then as i say you could add it to your joints spine you could do it there are particular treatments in ayurveda which i would go to a practitioner for but you can do localized eye treatments with it you can do these different types of we call them basti but they're not in, in um internal basti they are external bastis so of the knees say if we have knee pain 
you can you can do a beautiful treatment which is incredibly local which would be of warm ghee in that area um, within a framework of dough and we can do it also um, in our kati area which is the name for the lower spine again that's the seat of vata it's where a lot of stress is held a lot of dryness in the body we think of women when they're menstruating when vata is awry and in a woman's body when she's menstruating then she can get pain in that area um, so we think about adding then unctuousness and warmth and support to that area externally i think that's a beautiful area to sometimes massage with a bit of ghee even if you're not just doing a um, an external basti on it too okay fabulous what about people with dairy allergy or lactose intolerance yeah it's a very good question and i've actually written a couple of articles on this on the pure living website because um People have asked about this. And what we have with that that's interesting is, depending on what your intolerance is, if it's a dairy intolerance or a lactose intolerance, the lactose has actually been taken out within the processing of gritta. So if you have a lactose intolerance, then you should be okay with the gritta. Um, and if you have a dairy, a, a, a full, you know, it, this is what I, I, I do suggest reading this article, actually, because it kind of goes into the nuances of allergy intolerance and the different forms of it. Okay, so maybe a measured approach and also reference your article on the Pure Living website, mm. which is P-I-O-R-L-I-V-I-N-G.com, correct? Okay, right. okay. And you talked about penetrating microchannels in our body, permeating enough to offer nourishment. What about the adaptogenic qualities of ye? Yes, yes. I love adaptogens again. I, I keep saying these are my favorite words, but <laughs> all these beautiful things. <laughs> yeah. So if you take it in the morning, ghee will wake your system up. It'll wake your digestive system up, you know, and it'll get you going for the day. And then you take it at night, it'll calm you down. It'll give your, it'll give your, you a hug that you need to. I love this as an analogy. I was thinking of, of, um, I think I've talked about before as well of, you know, you want it, this confidence also comes in that, do we feel safe to fall asleep? You know, there's an anxiousness maybe in some people deep within their system of like, am I safe to sleep now? You know, am I oh, safe? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And so I think that he is like, it's this safety blanket. So your system knows it's you're okay to fall asleep because you're held. So that's what I love with that adaptogenic quality of it. But it does does both those things. It gives you vitality and it calms you down. It wakes your system up and it, and it lets it sleep. Okay. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. So when do you suggest or how best do you incorporate ghee into your daily routine or gritha? So I love to take it. I think it's a really gorgeous, with, with all Ayurvedic medicines, I have to say, and people can find this a bit difficult because sometimes things can taste very strong, you know, but it's really beautiful to get the taste of things so we understand how it's working within ourselves, you know. If you just take a capsule, you're not really experiencing the medicine. Mm -hmm. And the first stage of taking anything, be it a food or a medicine, is actually our sensory experience of it. It's really important to take in that aspect of all of that we do, you know. And so how I love to do it is you can take a teaspoon of it first thing in the morning, followed by some warm water. Now, 
We can also take chai one prash. We have we, it, which is another beautiful, beautiful medicine, which I do also suggest one takes in the morning. And so, what I always say is, people sometimes ask, "What should I take first? Because it's good to take on an empty stomach. Now, what I answer to that is, if we have had a particularly jittery night's sleep, if we're feeling a little bit anxious when we wake up, like there's a slight, you know, undercurrent of shaking rather than complete kind of lethargic rest, then I would suggest starting with the gritta. And then you follow it with some warm water just to let it really get through our body properly. I would also do this. Is that right away? Yeah, right away, right away. Uh-huh. And then um, last thing at night, you can take, again, you could take it a spoonful. Now, so this is the purest way of doing it <laughs> in that you're just taking it on its own. You could also like at nighttime, something I love to do, depending on what's going on in the system, but maybe you get some lovely organic raw goat's milk, which I would heat up add a tiny bit of turmeric to it, and then add a spoonful of ghee, mix it up. You could, depending if you're taking ashwagandha at the time or something like that, you could add some ashwagandha as well. And that's a beautiful tonic for the night, just to get your nervous system like completely calm, you know? Okay. And would that work as well with non-dairy milk? Yes, it can do. I always just say, so when I'm speaking with people taking non-dairy milk, I understand that it is, um, it is, a product that you know it, it often has a long shelf life i always i always tell people to read it doesn't mean it's just healthy because it's non-dairy look at the back uh-huh, you know what's uh-huh. in it what's it made of how many ingredients does it have in it how much how many different oils and potassium sorbate and all of these things does it have in it i always say whatever you're getting see how few ingredients you can get within it if we can make it ourselves brilliant i know not everyone uh-huh. has time for this so that's also you know I, i'm i'm all in favor of cutting corners in order to de-stress one's life. But, you know, a simple almond milk, we, you know, you soak some almonds, de-skin them, soak them overnight, take the skins off and whiz them up with some water and a tiny bit of, tiny pinch of salt and a bit of, you know, uh, cardamom or cinnamon. And that's a beautiful milk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great thought. Wonderful, Selena. I think in terms of incorporating Ayurveda in the Western world, we have talked about the inner climate and the outer environment, that was one. We talked about, say, the beverage aspect, needing to drink warm, not cold. We talked about the role of fats. We talked about exercise. We talked about diet in terms of eating fresh, eating less processed, eating warm and moist. And we also talked about the different stages of life and why people have joint issues, things like that, how we can address nourishment of mind and body and the nervous system and everything. So I think we have gone like almost a full circle there. But I guess to complete that picture would be talking about immune issues. And you already touched upon it a little bit. So how best can one improve their immunity? We have even issues like hair fall and other chronic conditions. So what would be your message on that? And I believe, like you said, there's another your product itself, Chavan Prash, and is it ideal for everybody again? Yeah, so um, just to start at the end of your question and go backwards, I guess, to start with Chavan Prash, um, it's this um, magical medicine. It's a Rasayana. It's the kind of king of Rasayanas. Rasayana means a rejuvenative therapy. And this is, I think Ayurveda is the only system of medicine that actually has a whole system dedicated within the science of Ayurveda, has a whole system dedicated to rejuvenation. 
So we uh-huh. cleanse and we rejuvenate. So this is something that we see in the world right now with everything that's going on is people's bodies and minds are exhausted mm-hmm. and they need replenishment. Beautiful. And so we need to turn to Rasayana for that. Now, Chaiwan Prash is one of the most beautiful Rasayanas that exists. It's the, it's the first Rasayana that's talked about in Charaka Samhita, which is the kind of one of the Bibles, medical Bibles of Ayurveda. Uh-huh. Um, and it was an ancient formulation that was created to kind of by a sage 22,000 years ago, it said, who understood that the body gets older and it depletes. And he thought, how can I stop it from happening? Uh-huh. So he, he meditated for a very long time and then got this message in. And it was almost, it said, the legend has it that he then received like a menu that said exactly what. So right there is an anti-aging answer sheet. An, an anti-aging answer sheet. It was like, right, this is it. Boom, 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 boom. This is exactly what the formulation needs to be. This is how you take it. And that was Chawa. Uh-huh. And it's this nectar. It's a nectar of longevity. It's it's got uh, it's got amla berry in it, which even in Western medical science is known to be one of the highest forms of vitamin C that we can possibly take in. And then it has this beautiful mixture of really carefully constructed and and the pure living makes this beautiful wild harvested, thoughtful, incredible recipe of it. Um, and it has in it all these. It has grita in it as well. Again, you know, when I talked about the Anupana and all the vehicles, it's like it in itself has been put together so carefully that it is a vehicle. Each one is a vehicle for each other. Each each medicine in it is like a vehicle for the other. And they're all helping all of it go to where it needs to go. So it is everyone can take it. You can take it at any time of year. For immune system health, it is just the best thing. This idea of Rasayana, right? So Rasayana also talks about the Rasa, which is the first level of the tissues of the human body. It is the tissue that is, um, it's like the circulating fluids and the serum that circulate the lymph. It's the basis. It's, it's the most pervasive and the, has the largest quantity of all the tissues within the body. What happens within our modern life is that Rasa gets very easily depleted. All of the wear and tear of everything that we get up to in modern life is Rasa depleting. So what this Rasayana does is it feeds and replenishes the Rasa and Chalam Prash is like, and Gritta does too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is there something like, um, okay, or rather, let me put it this way, how much is too much? Is there something that one has to uh, stay on guard when it comes to, uh, you know, taking any of these? Uh, and I know you are definitely not about rigidity and I appreciate that but I guess I just don't want listeners to think oh I have liberty to do how much ever I want is there something like a guideline no 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 yeah absolutely there's guidelines no 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 and that's the thing it's like I think that what I love about Ayurveda is it gives you the guidelines so that within those safe boundaries you can relax but you do need to do as you're told kind of within it you know and then once you know (laughs) then you can relax within that and you just want to, you know, you just want to take okay. a teaspoon of it. Okay. And just so. And then you take it on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. Okay. And this is not something to take at night. No, it's best taken first thing in the morning. Ideally, like if you're going to listen to the ancient text, you take it at this time of the morning, which is before sunrise, before your meditation sunrise. Okay. Now we have to understand that people in the West don't all live like that. They don't necessarily get up at 4.30 a.m. to meditate. So, um, but that was ideally when it was said to be taken. Okay. 
And if not, if you're not getting up at 4.30, then you just take it when you get up first thing before everything else. Okay. And so just so we give people a picture of how one can sort of structure their day uh, within the yeah. bounds of, you know, giving each one their own liberty to do what they want. So what does Selena do in a day, right, from the time you wake up to uh, you go to bed? So how is your diet and lifestyle and all your practices structured just so someone can have an understanding and an inspiration to kind of follow suit? And uh, what about vegetarian versus eating meat? Yeah, very good question. So, um, well, yeah, so my, my daily practice I do, I, I have, I will get up early in the morning and I will do, um, depending on how I'm feeling. And I, as I say, there's this constant awareness. What I'm always trying to do is cultivate larger and larger awareness. So in, for me, Ayurveda is about awareness, awareness of myself and my needs and of the outside environment. So say I did wake up and I felt like there was uh, a little bit of vata in my system, then maybe I would have some grutta to begin with. And otherwise, I would have some chaman prash. I would have, follow that with warm water. Warm water in the morning is... So if I can stop you there, yeah. Um, how do you identify that you have vata in your system? Just for an average listener to get a sense for it. Absolutely. So um, also, may I just say, I turn. make sure, please, you turn your Wi-Fi off at night when you sleep. We don't need the Wi-Fi on when we're sleeping. Our body okay. wants to relax completely, as I said about the nervous system. Um, so that is very important to me. It's all of, I have as little EMF stress in my sleep zone as possible. I will not have my phone on. I will not have Wi-Fi on. Um, I live in as much peace as possible in that regard, just so that my system can relax and completely, completely, you know, every night we have, we have the capacity to remake ourselves every night. You know, we switch off. And then we can completely rest and we can wake up refreshed and rejuvenated in the morning. So that's what we're always looking for. So then what happens is if we have a bit of shaking, say, you know, you wake up and you feel a little bit like shaky or hypervigilant. This is subtle stuff. I'm always looking for the subtle stuff. I'm a huge proponent of getting, as I say, of knowing yourself, getting in touch with how you are feeling and how you are. So it is subtle stuff. Um, and, and if in doubt, go with your instinct, you know, just be like, do I feel like it? Listen to yourself, trust yourself. Again, that confidence, the immune, the immune system confidence, the confidence of OJAS, we're always looking to cultivate. So right there is a little mindfulness exercise, right? right. You know, being in tune with yourself, just trying to ask yourself this simple question. Hey, how am I feeling today? Just pause for 30 seconds and kind of gauge for yourself what you're exactly. experiencing. This is it. This is the key for me to Ayurveda. Constantly, Ayurveda is like a set of anchor points for our day. So we can constantly be understanding where we are right in that moment. You know, that's for me the most important thing in life. How am I feeling? What are my needs right now? And, and beyond the place of addiction and craving and like kind of desirous longing, I'm not talking about that. It's like the pure essence of what are my needs to make me feel at my best? What, how, how do I function best? You know, how can I be in harmony with myself? How can I be in harmony with the world outside? How can I be in harmony with my family and my friends? So it's highly like, it's not a selfish pursuit. It's quite the opposite. If we can all be strong, brilliant beings and in our best state, then, then, you know, you multiply that by everyone and we've got 
society functioning properly, you know? I'm sorry, I'm going off tangent. I know you asked me a different question. (laughs) No, no, no. I think this is very important that you throw light on what is the significance behind doing even something. So you start your day based on, I think it was the right answer because I asked you, how do you assess if there's vata and what makes you decide whether you need gritha in the morning or whether you need your chavan prash in the morning. So after that, what does what is kind of the next progression in your day? Yeah, so I then have practices um, that I, I I do pranayama, I do meditation, I do mantra, chikitsa. Um, so I have these different that have been um, that are specifically for me and my needs, whether they be you know I mean I'm 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 this is my life, so like <laughs> I go deep into it, you know. But whether they be astrological that I've been given that suit my constitution astrologically, um, mantra jap or the meditations that I've been passed on by teachers. Um, again, it's all a tuning in myself and my awareness so that it can be, I can be as good a conduit of Ayurveda as possible for my patients and the people I'm around. Um, so I, I have my practice in the morning that is incredibly important. I then will do exercise. I like to do some qigong and yoga. Again, it's forms of um releasing anything that I don't need energetically from my body so that again I'm a pure vessel this is what I'm always trying to get to you know clear the pathways um and qigong is beautiful for that and even just shaking off so just going into every joint of the body and shaking it off a little bit you know making sure there's no tension in those bits and it can be really simple exercises um and then stretching and then I will have I like to start the day with a breakfast I love to have my very special kind of porridge I guess you don't I work with people in America and I tell them to eat porridge and they're like what is that (laughs) do you mean is it what do you call it oatmeal oatmeal right yeah yeah so I like to have I like to the least played with so like steel cut oatmeal if you can get that soak it before I make a mixture sometimes I'll put oat bran in there which will have probiotics maybe a few chia seeds I soak overnight um, and then I'll cook that in the morning with water a tiny bit of salt Uh, maybe some cinnamon and I'll have that with some coconut desiccated coconut or coconut fat and some blueberries or something you know maybe some nuts and that's how I love to start my day food wise I fast every Tuesday (laughs) completely Mm -hmm. that's just part of my practice and then I get on with my day really depending on again where I am and within my menstrual cycle where I am what time of year it is what the weather's saying that depends will differ what I'm eating and how I'm living my life, you know, the the tone of it changes. So I'm constantly, as I said um, earlier, it's this constant dance, a, a dance of awareness, really. Mm-hmm. And what about lunchtime? And what about dinner time? And yeah. does snack have any place in anyone's day? Yeah, like, you know, sometimes, especially different constitutions do need to. So if someone is of a of a particularly vata constitution. Now, I am, I'm, I don't always like to give people complete definitions of what their dosha is because then they can become rigid within that. And I think you need to be like, how am I feeling today? And what's the weather saying and all of this? So focus so, um, on the qualities rather than... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what your needs are. So And trust yourself. You know, when you've got clear pathways and you need a snack, then trust that that's what you need. You know, and we are... We are human beings in this world who are also you know it just depends really on what's going on and it depends what the day is saying it depends what you're up to so obviously when one fasts completely then one might be able to reach kind of 
more spiritual highs, you know, but one also has to counter on the fact that one needs to be grounded in this world. And, you know, what, what am I up to today? Like, am I needed to go and work and be all around the place? And it's not a really good idea to be fasting. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep nourished. So if you're of a Vata constitution or you're feeling particular, have some Vata imbalance, then I would, you know, have a little snack, have an apple, you know, some almond butter on a lovely crisp bread or something. See how it feels. See what, what your needs are. And then lunch, I would usually have, in Ayurveda, they say that should be the largest meal of the day. You mm-hmm. think of the sun at its height. It's like our Agni, the Agni's at its height. And so I, I enjoy eating, uh, you know, like vegetables, lovely, differently cooked vegetables and rice and different things like this. I eat all manner of things. Um, I'm mostly vegetarian, personally. Um, it doesn't suit everyone and that's fine. Ayurveda doesn't say everyone has to be vegetarian. Um, and then the evening meal should be smaller. We, we'll try and eat early before 7 p.m. Have finished your meal before that. You want to have enough time to really digest your food before you are switching off and going towards sleep. Please, what's really important is about blue lights. Like, so not like staring at your phone or watching television really late past, um, dark because you're just messing with your circadian rhythm. We just want to be always constantly in harmony with, you know, so, um, that's a whole other topic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, you brought up circadian rhythm because I was going to close with that. What about, uh, do you eat any grain uh, for lunch or for dinner, yeah. anything like that? Or do you just finish dinner with some kind of, say, vegetable or grain-based soup or any such? Yeah, ideally, I mean, a soup is really good. But again, it really depends on how, you know, you don't want to be depleted. So you have to judge as to what where you're at. I love grains. I love rice, different types of grains. Depends what suits your constitution. Some people suit others, you know, quinoa, buckwheat. It doesn't suit everyone, all these things. Amaranth, millet, lovely. Again, it depends on the time of year. And- so again, assessing for oneself what yeah. works best. And I guess one can determine what works best based on how their digestive pattern is the rest of the day or the following day, right? Whether you are tending towards constipation or whether you're tending towards, you know, a normal bowel movement, things like that. Okay. Exactly. So once our channels are kind of clear, once we have that confidence that they are clear and that we're not being driven by craving and addiction, this is really important, then trust what you need. Trust you know what you need. And how does one know? We focused a lot on Vata, I guess. How does one know that their Pitta or their fire element is high? So what do they do to kind of offset that? Yes, if someone's Pitta is high, it will come out or manifest as getting very hot getting angry, getting frustrated, being reactive to people, you know, not having the capacity to just like hold it in. It's that quick, like, it's fire. You imagine all these words that actually are just like fiery, you know, a fiery personality. Um, if, if one's bowel movements are incredibly quick, if one has acid reflux, these are all signs of an imbalance of pitta. So we want to think about what cools us then. In the height of summer, so if you have a pitta constitution and you're in the height of summer, you want to be always thinking of what cools your system. And things, you know, there are certain, there are all these lists that one can find on the internet of that which is cooling and that which is heating for the body. It's really good to check that out and to judge then what it is that you need at that given moment, just as you say. So cooling food, something like a simple cucumber is an example of... Yeah, yeah, cucumber is okay. It can be quite hard to digest for some people, but that is cooling. Um, Coriander seeds, super cooling. Cilantro seeds, which you call them in America. Um, Different types of fruits, 
What I love to do also is to think of what is locally available and seasonal in the place that you are, because nature is always telling you what you need. So whatever's growing, yeah. So that itself is an answer. That itself is an answer. Rather than having to put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's like, look outside and see... What's going on? How are the trees? What's what's okay? If you re- that's part of the awareness. It's like what's going on inside of me right now, and what's going on outside, and all the clues are here. Like the, all the information is here. So, am I correct in saying winter is kapha season because it's kind of moist, it's kind of heavy, perhaps, and that's why when you say like increases like, so go for the opposite. So, eating something like a soup even on a rainy day or when it's very cold outside, just our tendency to go reach for something warm, warm foods. Is that like a good assessment yeah. and a good interpretation of being in tune with my... Absolutely. It's a great interpretation of that. So interestingly, like kapha season is often seen to be more early, like late winter, early spring. When you imagine when, when yeah. things start building and growing a little bit, you know? So okay. the cold, of, it's almost quite... So autumn would be like vata with a bit of kapha splayed in. As you say, it's like... It, it, in, in, in the UK, for instance, although there's a constitution at the very fundamental base of this country, we might have five different types of weather in a day. It's so erratic here, you mm-hmm. know? So I really want people to see like, okay, so it's really, it was like we had these crazy storms and this crazy wind. And I was saying to people like, if you're feeling like really erratic emotionally, understand that's part of the weather. So you need grounding foods. But what nature gives uh-huh. you is grounding foods growing at those times of year. You think of all these root vegetables. Fantastic. So it's going, it's look, look at, you know, you go to your farmer's market and you're like, right, what actually is growing right now here? You know, in springtime, we, in England, we have nettles growing and we have wild garlic, all you can forage in the outside. And that is medicine for our blood. It cleans out the excess kaffa from our blood and gets us ready for the next season, you know? It clears the heaviness. Beautiful, beautiful. And you talked about circadian rhythm. If we can close with that and also the importance of patients taking charge of their own health. I guess we have talked a lot about being in tune with one's body. I guess if we can reflect on the circadian rhythm and patients advocating for their care, I think that will be a fantastic closing aspect to this beautiful conversation and of course your contact information and all the great things that you do uh, on your own and as an ambassador of pure living yeah so uh, the circadian rhythm is 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 the knowledge of, of of the sun and the earth and how they correspond to one another so the way in which the earth revolves around the sun and understanding then the cycle of the day and the night and how our body hormonally and on every level um, is and, and digestive system wise everything is responding to that the light and the dark phases of the day and the night um, and respecting that and working in harmony with that um, this is pure Ayurveda it's something that was given a Nobel Prize for science a few years ago you know as if someone had just thought of it a few <laughs> years ago <laughs> um, if there's one thing to take away it's like how do we live in harmony with nature, not against it. And unfortunately, modern life, it doesn't necessarily live, it lives, it doesn't live in harmony necessarily. It doesn't, it doesn't push us to live in harmony. Um, it pushes us to do whatever we kind of willfully want, you know? So I say, 
look inside, look outside and see how can I live as simply as possible on some level and in harmony with all of that. Perfect. And your contact info and all the great stuff, Selena. Yeah. So I um, I have, my thing is called At Your Best and that's at yourbest.one. Um, and that is where I do my consultations from. I do online consultations as well, which is really amazing. So I can work with people all over the world, which I feel really lucky to be able to do. Um, and so you can get in contact with me there. And then I, through Pure Living, I have this lovely column called Ask Selena, um, which is this beautiful thing. So people can write in their questions on wellness and on Ayurveda if they have any particular questions. And then I answer it um, on the Pure Living website, which... Um, you mentioned, I'm sure you'll add a link to. Oh, I'll certainly do that. Yeah, get in touch there. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, get in touch. I'd love to hear from anyone. And really grateful to be on this lovely podcast and have this beautiful conversation with you. Um, I love Ayurveda. I feel very lucky to have, have learnt, you know, and have, have been learned, you know, in this world of it all and to, to help hopefully spread some of this knowledge. Oh, fantastic. You said it's, you know, an evolving journey it's a learning journey and i completely resonate with you on that because i have interviewed so many ayurvedic experts on this podcast though it's not specifically a podcast on ayurveda it's more a daily life you know aspects anything pertaining to daily life and leisure i um cover on my podcast so anything that would be applicable to any listener's lifestyle right from morning till night be it health and nutrition wellness be it their business career youth life sports and so much more you know so but this is just so fabulous i learned a lot from this conversation and uh, i think it's just great that there's so much to ayurveda it's just it just teaches you how to lead your life in harmony by just understanding yourself. So thank you so much for this uh, fabulous chat. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, listeners, as always, uh, rate the podcast, leave a review from your podcast app of choice. Follow me on Instagram at YP Kumar for all things digital media and lifestyle. And Selena, if there's anything else you would la- you would like to add, please feel free to say so. I think I think you've covered it all very beautifully and I just want to say thank you for having me on here. It's been really beautiful talking with you. And your Instagram and, yeah. handle? Oh yes, um so it's underscore at your best. At your best. Okay, underscore at yeah. your best. Fantastic. Yeah. I will see you back again with yet another guest and yet another interesting topic. Until then, it's bye saying so long. <laughs>